The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. All right, good morning, everyone. Praise God for you. Uh, I'm Vince, I'm one of the pastors here. I do most of the Bible teaching, and uh, that's what I'm going to do. Right now, so if you would turn to Mark chapter 4, that's where we're going to get cracking today. And uh, as you're turning there, uh, I've been thinking a lot this week about where we were uh, last week, what we were talking about last week, and Jesus bringing to the forefront this idea, you know, the, the religious leaders came and they were saying, well, he's casting out demons by the prince of demons, and Jesus kind of you know, smacks him down with this idea that, listen, you guys are talking foolish talk. A house divided against itself can't stand. And so we're talking about how God, in his creative order, and all that he did in creation, part of what he did is that he put into the unity of people a power. And we talked about how that can either work towards the good, towards God's purposes, or against, right? We looked at the Tower of Babel. And, and I'm rehashing all that because I just, I've been thinking this week in particular, about how special and how meaningful uh, gathering like this is because of what it accomplishes in terms of unity. And so I'm, I'm thinking about all the people that are here right now. I'm thinking about all the people that are keyed in to what's happening here through uh, the live stream. And the fact that if you think about the, the contrast between this, what's happening right now, and the rest of our week, right? I'm sure in God's sovereignty, there are times when our, our thoughts and what we're focused on, maybe line up throughout the week. We have different things happening like community groups. So there's other times to be sure, but there's something really precious about the fact that all of us right now, whether you're here in person or joining online, right now we're all going to be in the same scriptures together. We're all going to be following along the same uh, train of thought. We were all just singing the same songs together. And, and, and it's in coming together to do that and it, being unified in that, there's power in that. That's what I'm getting at. It changes stuff. It matters. And it's special. And that's part of why the weekly gathering of God's people is built into his creative order and part of why we think it's important. So I think that's cool. And I got a kick out of it. Uh, let's get to some scriptures, okay? Amen. So we're in Mark chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 25. And uh, that's about half the chapter, which is about the clip we've been going through this series. We're just going verse by verse through the gospel of Mark. So. Here we go. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Here we go. He began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea and on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this, behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, They yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the 12, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing, They may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear it, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. 
And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on a lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Praise God for his word. Boy, verse 25 is rough, isn't it? That sounds harsh. <laughs> All right, let's work on it. We'll get there. We've got we to get through the rest to get there. Uh, thankfully, this won't take, you know, I just read 25 verses. Like, oh my goodness, this guy talks for an hour about three verses. And you're right. That's fair. That's a fair critique on your part. But we have the benefit this week of the fact that Jesus did most of the heavy lifting already in explaining the parable, okay? So he already laid a bunch of track for us, and uh, that will allow us to focus a little bit more on the, the back end there to talk about lights and lamps and those who don't have are going to have what they have taken away. Like, what? Okay. All right. So let's, let's get there, though. So verses 1 and 2, uh, basically, it's, you know, he's beginning to teach again, and he's doing it by the sea. And just one thing I wanted to point out there is that Jesus is getting out in a boat, pushing off from shore a little bit, and then preaching to the people on the shore. Because, as we've seen throughout Mark, uh, the crowds are getting bigger. They're getting uh, more and more you know, aggressive about wanting to get in to touch Jesus and get a miracle. And it's not that Jesus is not about touching people. It's about Jesus came for a certain particular mission. And so he has touched a lot of people. He has healed a lot of people. We've read and we've seen that, and it's wonderful. But he has a primary mission, a primary focus, right? We saw that in the fact that he would leave one city uh, you know, his disciples came up to him in the beginning of the book of Mark and said, hey, everyone's looking for you. There's a giant crowd looking for you. You know, when everyone hears that, it's like, you know, it's like that's what a lot of preachers, that, that, their dream has come true. A big crowd's looking for me, right? And Jesus says, let's go to the next town so that I can do what I came to do, which is to preach the good news of the kingdom. He came to preach and teach. And so here we see him doing it again. He's done it in the temple. He's done it in the streets. He's done it in a house. Now he's doing it on this boat. And, you, you know, and we've seen thus far already the religious leaders giving him trouble about a lot of different things, and I could just see this also ticking them off. So Jesus is in a boat out by the lake. What the heck, right? Like the teaching of the word of God is supposed to happen in the synagogue, right? And don't, now, there's some of you out here that are like, you know, you're the, you're, you're, you're the ones I talked about two weeks ago, right? It's like, oh, I don't need to go in the four walls of a church and this and that and whatever. Well, the church is the people anyway. It's not the building, but that's not the point. The point is this. There, it, it's, it all, it's all okay, and it all has a place. Jesus went into the synagogue to teach when it was the day of the Sabbath, but he was also doing it out in houses and, and out, down by the lake shore and out in the streets, right? And so all these different places have value. But I could just see the Pharisees. I could see them just seething at the fact that Jesus is not in the synagogue, the place where... The word of God is to be taught, right? Did you hear that? I didn't say G-O-D, I said G-A-W-D, God. The word of God, right? <laughs> I got to be careful, I'm going to accidentally start saying it that way and not be able to stop. Okay, so uh, you, you can just see them being ticked off about him changing the method that they were used to, right? Because sometimes people get all up in their feelings and all up in their uh, self-righteousness over the traditions of men. And so this is just another way where Jesus is changing the method, but the message never changes, right? And there are those who end up changing the message and saying it's just the method, so we have to be discerning about that, right? Because there are certain things that are out of bounds. But uh, Jesus here is still preaching the good news of the kingdom, which centers upon him and the redemptive work he came to do, and uh, pointing people to repentance, which is kind of the, it's the front door into the kingdom, humbling yourself to the realization that I'm a sinner before God and I need his help, right? And then Jesus came to provide that help. Amen. Okay, so uh, why am I saying that? I mean, because we're, you know, 
we're kind of a weird hybrid here, so it's, it's maybe not as prominent, but, you know, we use technology. We've got projector. I mean, there's people, when people started shooting the words to songs on walls, do you know there was Christians that lost their mind? Their heads spun around on their shoulders. They couldn't believe it. What do you mean you're not going to use a hymnal? Just couldn't, couldn't imagine God using, you know, that devil box that creates light images and shoots it onto a screen. No way. But actually, it's kind of cool because we can all look forward and actually all see it, right? You know, because you had, you know, if someone didn't have their glass prescription up to date, you know, they're struggling with the hymnal and then God knows what. So anyways, methods change, okay? I'm down to, I'm down to try anything that's within the bounds of the Word of God uh, to get people the gospel, whatever it is. So if you've got a new idea, if, if the Holy Spirit's dealing with you, troubling you, and giving you ideas about how we can get the gospel to more people and... and Maybe what stopped you is like, well, I've never seen anybody do that before. Great! Let's do it. Let's at least talk about it. Amen? Come on. All right, so um, that brings us to verses 3 through 9. Okay, so that's basically where he gives the parable. So uh, let's, let's read it again. It's a big chunk of what's going on here. Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. Okay. He was sowing some feet, some seed fell beside the road, the birds came up and ate it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, the thorns came up and choked it, and yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundred fold. And he was saying, he, he who has ears, let him hear. Okay, so... He uses a familiar analogy for this parable for, for folks that he was talking to, the, the sowing of seed. Uh, this was something they would have all probably seen done. There was a lot of farming and agriculture happening in that area in that time. But just because the example Jesus used was simple, it doesn't mean that the truth behind it was. And, and we actually get the privilege of seeing this as we read on. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot that Jesus is saying in this simple, uh, simple parable about where seed is falling on certain soils. This parable is often referred to as the parable of the sower, but really the main focus is on the different soils that the seed falls into. Uh, in, in my Bible here it says the parable of the sower and the soils. So somebody smart just saw, you know, there's probably people that have debated over what to name this parable. And somebody, somebody, this is the kind of guy I like to hang out with. Just call it both, man. It's cool, right? Like parable of the sower and the soils. But that's to just focus on the sowers, really what Jesus is pointing out here is the condition of the soil the seed falls into. And so we see four different soil conditions, right? The first is soil by the path. It's near the road is what he's saying. And what he's saying there is that, that that dirt would be very tightly compacted because it's been stepped on a lot. So it's, it's going to be real hard for seed to get into that. And that is also uh, the, the place where the birds came and were able to steal the seed because it just sat on top. didn't even start to work its way in. Um, we have the rocky soil, which it has a thin layer of soil, but underneath that is a bunch of rock. And so those roots... They can spring up quickly, he says, but there's, there's no depth there. And so then they're scorched by the sun. So there's soil by the path. There's rocky soil. There's thorny soil. And that means mixed into. And oftentimes, uh, when these guys were sowing the, the seed, they wouldn't have been able to see this. It's not just negligence on the sower's part. It's the reality that the, the seeds for these thorns are mixed into this soil. And, and you can't necessarily always see that right away. And so this seed is sown onto this soil, but what grows up with it are thorns that end up choking it out, okay? So there's soil by the path, there's rocky soil, shallow, there's thorny soil, it's got other stuff mixed in there that's a problem, and then there's the good soil. There's the good soil that this, these seeds can take root and they can bring a harvest, he says 30, 60, or 100 fold. They, they, that soil produces fruit when the seed is dropped into it, okay? All right, so let's look at verses. I just wanted to make sure we, we were all kind of solidly or be able to hold those four soils in our mind and understand before we really get into breaking it down. We have four different soils. Now, ten verses 10 through 12, like a little side deal here, then he goes into explaining what the parable actually means. And this is where his 
disciples, they come and ask. They're like, okay, Jesus, I uh, heard about the sower, heard about the seed, heard about the soils. What does that mean? And how, what does Jesus say to them? Uh, he says, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. <clears throat> it can seem here like what Jesus is saying, and there's, early on when I first began to study this, I, I saw this and it, it really, it bothered me. This was, I'm like, hold on a second. It sounded to me like he was talking in parables to, to purposely blind these folks. And the, the reality is though that Jesus didn't speak in parables to blind people. He spoke in parables because they were blind. Okay? And, and here's what that... Um, so I'm going to show you. 2 Peter 3.9 gives us an idea. It gives us a window into the revealed will of God as it pertains to people coming to him. Right? Uh, Peter is answering a, a criticism that sometimes will come from outside of, of God's people. That, okay, so if... Like, where is your God, right? He's promised to come. Where is he? Why hasn't he showed up? And Peter's response is, hold on. God is not slow, as some count slowness. He is patient, willing that none should perish. Okay? So this is the revealed will of God on the subject. He's willing that... Best case scenario for him is that none should perish. Some will perish. But that is, God's not engineering things in order to create that outcome, okay? And that's not what Jesus is doing here. The parables, in a way, they served to sift people, okay? Because those who were interested in what Jesus was saying, the parables gave them an opportunity to either, he's like, okay, so I, if they trust in Jesus and, and they, they already respect him and they know what he's saying is deep and profound, they, he starts talking about soils and, and, and a farmer's seed and all this, if, if they're just a casual kind of, I'm just here for the spectacle type of person, they might hear all that and be like, eh, and off they go. But if somebody already is being stirred by God's spirit and already being dealt with to, to respond to Jesus, and they've, they've already seen and, and heard something that brings them to start to trust him, they're going to press in beyond. They're going to do what the disciples and the other followers did. That's what, the, that's what it says here, right? What did they do? They were like, hey, Jesus, I didn't get that. Right? Which is scary. How many of us like to do that after the teacher gets done? Uh, <laughs> hey, here's the thing. You're like, great job on your lesson, but I have no idea what you meant, right? Uh, <laughs> by the way, it's okay if you come do that to me, because I'm sure it happens quite often. Um, it's, it's fine. It's not necessarily your fault, though, though it might be, and that's what we're going to talk about in a minute, okay? <laughs> but it, sometimes it has, to, it has to do with attitude and, and, and heart condition more than intelligence. That's not really the point. We're not dependent upon human intelligence for these things anyways, because the wisdom of God, it confounds the wise, right? Amen. I'm really glad about that truth. I don't know. I mean, you guys are all smart, so it probably doesn't mean as much to you that you don't have to be brilliant in order to understand uh, the truth of God and, and spiritual things. But boy, did I need that mercy. Amen. All right. So... <clears throat> The parables were to sift people, and, and people that were interested, they could press in to understand. Or if not, if they were that person who's just like, oh, what is he on about? I didn't come here for a farming lesson, right? They, they just walk away. There, there's this idea that they don't, they're not heaping more judgment on themselves because they, they rejected a parable, which was not clear anyways, versus if Jesus was just plainly saying what it was, then they would be rejecting the, the straight-up, plain truth of God, instead of that parable. It's, it's actually a mercy to them. And part of why we know that is because we've been tracking the book of Mark together, and we know, I mean, how would you describe uh, the acceptance level of Jesus' message so far? So far? I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of people, sure, that are excited about it, but there's also been a bunch of people that have just flat rejected already what Jesus has been saying. He's been talking more plainly, and you'll see a shift here now in Mark 4 where it, it, it tends to go more to parables now. So Jesus makes this shift in his ministry after, you know, and we saw last week, that's what I was, I was trying to show you guys, I hope I did, <clears throat> even though Jesus was speaking harshly to those guys, the, the religious leaders who were accusing him of being Beelzebub, there's in, in there there's almost this connotation of him pleading with them, like, guys, come on, I'm right here, like the one you've been waiting for, I'm right 
here. Are you going to miss this? Right? Because the heart of God is not that he's slow that some count slowness. He's patient, willing that none should perish. And this is, this is the heart of Christ. Amen. Um, so the question that this brings us to, and so let's, let's kind of bring this down to real life right here in this moment. What determines whether this right here today, whether this or any other sermon is a good sermon? What determines that? I think most people's answer, and they'd be half right, is whether or not the preacher does a good job, right? But we also need to work on how we define a good job. What is most important? I'm going to argue that what Jesus is saying here is the most important thing is that what is being sown is the right kind of seed. And what is that seed? It's the word. That's the key to this parable. That's the, you're going to have to press into the master because all of his parables are like a door. You can choose to walk through or not. It's like, that one, that looks interesting. Or, no, nah, I'm just going to keep going. But you're going to need a key to get through the door. The key to this parable, which Jesus says when his disciples are like, hey, uh, hey, we don't get it. Jesus says, hold on. Well, if, guys, come on. You know, if you don't get this one, didn't he? He said, if you don't get this one, how are you going to get the rest of them? So there's something about this basic first ground level parable here that, that really unlocks and helps us understand a lot of what Jesus is teaching and, and some of the other parables as well. Okay. So what makes this a good sermon? Some of it is, does the preacher do a good job? I'm going to make an argument that, that what determines whether it's a good job or not has everything to do with whether the preacher opens up this word and preaches this word. Not how magnanimous or uh, charismatic his personality is. Not how funny his jokes are. Not how much he's able to connect and relate to you. Is he actually sowing seed that has a chance to find good soil and actually reap a harvest for the sake of the kingdom of God? Bottom line. Now, does it help to have some of the natural giftings that God may may bestow upon those who are called to preach and teach his word? Sure, that's fine. But we need to have our minds right about what is first and foremost. And what we're looking for when we determine what is a good sermon. Okay? So that's, yeah, the preacher does have to do a good job. How does the preacher do a good job? He preaches the word. That was a period right there. (laughs) Okay? But there's another part that, if I just ask that question in general, what determines whether it's a good sermon or not? I think most people would say, they they would think about whether or not the preacher does a good job, however they define that, maybe or maybe not by whether it's the word of God being preached. So that's first and most important. But they, they might forget that there's another half here because this parable is often called the parable of the sower. But as I told you before, it could very well just be called the parable of the soils. Because there's a responsibility on the side of the hearers. And so Jesus, in telling this parable, is setting up his hearers to be critiqued for how well the teaching goes, how well the word being sown goes. He's taking some of the responsibility and showing them that there's a reality to this fact, that uh, the exact same words delivered the exact same way is going to hit different people at different levels. It's going to have different effects on different people. Right? The Puritans were fond of saying that the same sun that uh, melts the wax hardens the clay. Right? Interesting. And I'm going to press you further on this. It's... There is, you have a responsibility. In case I haven't made it plain yet, if I've still been talking in parables on accident, let me just make it plain. What determines whether a sermon is good or not? Some of it is up to you. Some of it is up to whether or not you come in with the mentality of understanding that the soil condition of yourself, he who has ears, let him hear. Right? Whether the soil condition of your heart is in a place to be able to do something with seed that 
hits it, right? And, and how do we know? How do we know if it was a good sermon or not? Or how do we know if it was a worthwhile spending of our time? Is it, is it how it makes you feel? There, there are people that say that. There's, there's <clears throat> I almost said Bible teachers, but that's not really accurate. There, there's preachers, guys that claim to be Christian that talk in front of people. I don't know. That, that, that literally what they, what they will say is, uh, what's most important? Here, listen, remember this. There's somebody that said it originally. I can't, I can't remember. Maya Angelou maybe or somebody. I don't know. There's, there's a, a quote they like to bat around. It's that um, nobody's ever going to remember what you said. They're going to remember how you made them feel. Isn't that precious? That is precious. Now, listen. <laughs> I, we, are, we are complex beings, okay? We have an intellect and we have emotions and those are all from God. God shares those. That's part of us being made in God's image. I am not downplaying the reality of, of memory and effect and all of that being tied up into how you feel. I'm not, I don't, what I'm not saying is in order for us to be faithful to what Jesus is teaching today, we don't need to become robotic, right? Or completely have a lack of emotion. But it's too far, to say, no one's going to remember what you said, only how you made them feel. God, I hope that's wrong. Amen. Sincerely, I hope that's wrong. Like, really wrong. Okay? So the most important thing in how we determine whether a sermon was good or not is not how it made you feel. Can, your, can God use, and, and can your emotions be a part of how you receive something and how it ends up affecting your life? Absolutely, and that's not a bad thing. But it's not, it's not maybe so high on the <clears throat> totem pole as it should be. Is, how do we know if it's a good sermon? Is it how excited everyone gets? Uh, I hope not, because I'm still trying to teach you guys how to get excited about a sermon. So we're working on it. We're getting there. I hear a, I hear a kind of, you know, every once in a while. So we'll get there one day. Um, I'm working on... You know, I'm working on, I know some, I got some Pentecostal friends. I'm going to see if they'll loan us some of their folks to come over for a while and just, just teach you guys how to do it. And then, then they can go back home. But I'm just kidding. I love you. We're working. The Lord's shaping us and forming us and we're, we're awesome. It's okay. Uh, is it how intellect, so I'm, now I'm going to go to the other end of the spectrum. How do we know if it's a good sermon? Is it how intellectually stimulating everyone finds it? Is that? What makes it a good sermon? No, that's no, not at all. It's not those things. What is it? The question is, what, what am I asking? Are you all with me? How do we know if it was a good sermon? I'm saying it's not those other things. We know it's a good sermon if fruit is produced. That's it. Okay? So even if we felt really awesome when we left... Look, you guys, you guys better get into this, because if I have to do all the work, the mic's going to break. Even if we felt so great, or we, we thought so deeply, or whatever, if no fruit is produced, it's garbage. And how do we, what determines whether fruit is produced? The right seed has to be sown. And the soil's got to be ready to receive it. Amen. You guys got a little more lively there. It seems like possibly breaking the mic might have shook you. Is that it? Is that what it did? I swear, I've told the leadership team, I'm like, if, if, if we can't get this together, I want a gong installed, a giant gong. And just, if I don't think you guys are with me, I'm going I'm to have a hammer and just, boom, rock that thing. It's going to be awesome. Let's not go there. We, I mean, then we have to explain the gong to everybody. You know what I mean? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be weird. Let's just, let's just not do it. All right. Some of whether we get a gong is on me, but some of it's on you, okay? <laughs> Amen. All right. Okay. Verses 21 through 25. Let's, let's get down here. No. 
No, 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 we're not there yet. We got to look at 13 through 20. Like I said, we're not going to spend a ton of time here because here's the beautiful thing that happened. Somebody was humble enough to say, uh, Jesus, I don't understand that parable. And he's like, even though, even though he's like, come on guys, this one's pretty basic. He goes and he explains it. Okay. So you got the, you got the soil by the wayside. So the question we should be asking ourselves, hopefully you've bought into the fact that the, the seed needs to be being sown. Fruit needs to be produced. That's the goal. And, and then the soil needs to be ready. So you've got a responsibility. So I'm, I hope you're starting to think about, well, what kind of soil am I? Okay, so you've, then Jesus goes on to explain more what, so we understand what the, the soil issue is about here because he didn't say it at first. He says, the sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. And so you've got this hardly compacted heart because, because the dirt is right by the road, the road being the way everyone is going, Right? So you got that problem, and, and because the seed just sits right there on top and it's so tightly compacted, that's a prideful heart. Not soft and, and not, not able for that seed to get down in there. And what that does, he says, is it allows, then the birds can come. And the birds, he, he explains to us, Satan, that represents Satan coming and snatching that word. And so we know also from Peter that, that you know, and there's all these animal analogies, but the bottom line is, you know, Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, right? So Satan is on the lookout. He does not want the word getting down into your heart in seed form, taking root and actually producing fruit. He does not want that. Because that wreaks havoc on his kingdom. That messes up all his little plans. When Christians really grab onto and receive the word of God, and it takes a deep enough root that not only can Satan now not come snatch that seed, but then... The, rock, the, the rocky soil issue, it, it doesn't happen either because once, once that thing takes root deep enough, what does he say? He says there's, there's this rocky soil where sometimes people, they'll get real, real excited about what's going on right at the beginning, but that root, it, it just it doesn't grow very deep at all. And then what happens? Then originally he said the sun scorches, but, but then he explains what that means. He's talk, he says it's, tri, it's trials and it's tribulations. There's difficulty in this life because the world is broken and cursed. One day it will not be that way, glory to God. But until that day, it is that way. There, you know, man, we spend a lot of times like, God, why are, why are hard things happening to me? Guys, it's, it's not that that's always a bad prayer, because sometimes it is consequences of our own stuff, and, and so we should sort through that. But man, at the end of the day, if we would just settle this reality, um, we're not home yet. It's going to be a rough go until it's not. The only time it's not is going to be when we stand before the unveiled face of the king of glory and all evil sin and brokenness has been vanquished forever. Until then, man, we are good. expect to strive and struggle, man. You're an alien in a place you don't belong. You're a stranger in a foreign land. Of course there's opposition. Of course it feels strenuous. I mean, we're on a journey here trying to get home and we're trying to invite a bunch of other people to come home too, Right? So, yeah, <laughs> you, so you've got, the, you've got the soil by the wayside. That's that hard-packed soil, and Satan's able to steal the seed. Or, or you've got this, this rocky soil where the root doesn't go down very far. And, and then, and, and how, do you know, how do you know you had rocky soil? Well, when trial and tribulation comes, if that, if that shakes your faith or your confidence in God's goodness and power, then, then there might be rocky soil there. And then he talks about thorny soil, which is different. I think the nuance here, man, he, he could have just said there's good soil and bad soil, but Jesus is such a good teacher. He breaks it down even farther. He's, he talks about this soil by the road, man. That's a different issue than rocky soil. There's something different going on. It's a different problem. And then, he, and then he talks about this soil that has thorns sown in it as well. How sneaky is that? Because it might look like soft soil. It's not right by the road, but it's almost like that soil is, is too fertile in a way. Because not only can this good seed that's been sown grow in it, but all this other stuff is growing up too. And he even gives us some examples, doesn't he? The worries of this world and, and the deceitfulness of riches, right? And he says, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Man, so this is soil that actually has the potential for the seed to grow. And it is 
And yet, there's, because these other things come up in competition, they, they choke out that good word, and it doesn't produce fruit. And this can be a lot of different things, guys. And here's, here's the problem, is, is, is this idea, you know, many, many people know there's a verse that says, the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. How many of you ever heard that? Raise your hand. It's participation time. Have you heard that? Okay. But what people oftentimes forget is that that's the second half of a verse. The first half of the verse is that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. And that's a very important prerequisite. It's very important because... When you delight yourself in the Lord and you don't delight yourself in the things of the world, you understand what I'm saying? We don't, we don't run around a bunch and say, I delight myself in this or that. So let me just explain what I'm talking about. What really turns your crank? What gets you excited? What habitates the majority of your thought life? What are you thinking about most of the time? These are the things. What brings a smile to your face? What gets you up in the morning and gets you moving? That's what you delight in. And the scriptures say we are to delight ourselves in the Lord. And when we don't, well, let's start with when we do. When we do, and are you going to do that perfectly? No. But let's at least shoot for that target. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, what happens is, because the second half of the verse, the one everybody likes, it's on the fridge, it's on the bathroom mirror, the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. What happens is when you delight yourself in the Lord, your desires begin to just like the rest of you, begins to be molded and shaped to look like his. And so more and more, it's safe for God to give you your desires, right? What did the book of James say? You don't get what you're praying for because you pray with wrong motives. You're asking for the wrong things. And there's so many people that trust themselves so much that they think, well, just whatever I'm praying for, well, God should do that. Of course that's good for me. No. (laughs) No, you're often wrong a lot. Amen. But but if we know that and we place ourselves in the Lord's hands and we delight ourselves in the Lord and he begins to shape and mold our desires, the more our desires are lined up with him, the safer it is for him to grant us those. Right? Because God grants prayers according to his will. What is his will? To put us through the meat grinder and make life excessively hard? No. No, that's not. Actually, the book of Romans chapter 8 says that he is, he's promised to work for the good. Work everything for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Work every single thing that's going on. Things we perceive as good, things we perceive as bad, things we perceive as neutral. All of it. He is working for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we believe he's powerful enough to do that? And do we just believe his good intention? Is our delight in God? Is our delight in the good word that he has given us? Is our delight in Christ? Because to the degree that it is, more more and more and more, there will be less opportunity for these thorns, these counter desires. Because Jesus is so smart. He said the deceitfulness of, of riches, right? He called that out. He, what else did he say? He said uh, deceitfulness of riches. He said um, worries of the world. And then he says, and desires for other things. He just leaves it broad, wide open to let us know there, there is any, li- any possibility of these other desires that could come in and, and, and sneak in and just subtly become of greater importance to us than what it is Christ is working in us, than Christ himself to us, right? And so we can't, we can't, let, we can't let thorns, man. How, how disappointing is it when the, man... It, it really is. Honestly, as a shepherd, it is to, to see the seed take root in somebody and start to grow. It's like, it's happening. Yes! And then the thorns. Choke it. It's done. Man. Thank Jesus for this. Man, thank God for the wisdom in this parable. So we know what to be looking for and what to be praying for. Amen. And then there's good soil. They're the ones who see, see the sown on the good soul. They hear the word, accept it, bear fruit. 30, 60, 100 fold. Okay? All right. So verses 21 through 25. We see, we've got to pay attention here to the flow and the context to understand. 25 is, 
I assume for you, it, is, it always was for me. 25 is the big like dog whistle verse. Like, huh? What the heck? For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Right? Uh, boy, that'd be, that'd be one to take out of context and wield, wouldn't it? So what, what, is, what does that mean? What's he talking about? Well, we have to, we have to look at the context and understand it. And, and really what it comes down to, it's, it's basically the same drum that we're beating here at Love City Church every week. It just, it just pops up again. Um, the question we want to ask ourselves here is, the, the whole idea of the parable is you've got the, the word being sown, you've got these different soils, and, 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 and he's saying we, we want to with God's help, be that good soil where the seed can take root and, and bear fruits 36 year, 100 full, right? The question we have to ask ourselves is, what does, what is, why? Why does that analogy work? Like, what, what does fruit do? Why do we want fruit? Well, fruit can do a couple different things. It can, first of all, it can, it can be a source of, of sustenance to others. So part of what God is doing in bringing us into his kingdom and making us his, his children is equipping us to go and be a blessing to others, right? So part of producing fruit is for the sake of other people in that way, just providing them some of the, the nourishment that comes from that. But the second thing that fruit does, what happens to fruit if it's not picked by humans or animals? Well, it can rot. I have, to, I have to line my questions up better because actually you just opened up a whole other thing and we could preach 15 minutes on that. That's a good point. We'll think about that another time. But even if it rots, it falls, and, and in that fruit is, is what? Those little seeds, right? And so it, ultimately, if that thing's not eaten, and sometimes even if the seeds are eaten, right, then the animal can take it and spread it somewhere else. I won't describe that any further. You guys can know what I'm talking about. It can feed others while it's, it's still good or, or that seed can fall to the ground and it can, it can promulgate and, and it can make more of that. It can, now it's working on spreading, right, more of whatever it is. <clears throat> and so here's, here's, here's how we need to ex- understand t- verse 25. Because it sounds really harsh. A lot of things Jesus said sounded harsh. And I mean, some of it is. and It's necessarily harsh, but He says, whoever has to him more shall be given. Whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. So I'm going to use another analogy to try to lay this out. So the hearers that he's talking about. And and how how do I know? I'm I'm going to tell you. So before I lay this out, let me, because you might go, I don't know if that's what he's saying. He goes from this, he goes from the thing about the soils directly into what? What's his, next, what's his next question? A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it, or under a bed? Is it, is it not brought to be put on a lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, and nothing has been secret but that it would come to light. So right after this whole soil thing, Jesus goes to this idea, and it's common, in his, he said it lots of times, you, if, you got a, if you got a lamp and you stick it under a bed or under a basket, that's so dumb. That's basically what he's saying. What are you doing? Right? So a lot of, a lot of his analogies are kind of a, it's, it's like a rib to get your attention. I, I really like it, but, you know, you can be offended about it if you want to. Just, you'll get over it later. Sometimes Jesus is, is come on, guys. Because we need that, don't we? I mean, at least in the back of the head a little bit. Okay, so you, you see his pivot here to, he's talking about light and the purpose of that, and, and shouldn't it be to shine out and be used for that purpose? And then he goes on to say, you know, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. So take care what you listen to. Take care what seed, right, and, and the measure with which you, you judge that, but but what he, what he gets to at the end, this idea that those who already have more will be given, and those who don't have even what they have will be taken away. That's like, right? Imagine that the hearers, that's us, were like cups. And either your cup has a hole in it, or it doesn't. 
God is a very good steward. And this is part of his whole preaching in parables here. Some came afterwards and wanted to know, Master, what did that parable mean? The ones that walked away, there's this idea in the scriptures of not casting your pearls before swine. And we're very, we're very quick to be like, ooh, I don't like that. What, that nobody, how do I, why would you ever call someone a swine? Well, the, the point there is, listen, just, this is a fact. You can like it, you can not like it, you can be mad, sad, glad about it. It doesn't really matter how you, what your reaction is. It, is. it is. This is true. Some people are ready and willing to receive this good seed, and some aren't. Part of what our job is as good gospel missionaries is having discernment in knowing that. And I just want to say to you right now, I have failed miserably many times at having good discernment about whether or not someone was ready. Because in, in, in my heart, I would, just, I would love them and I, I'd see someone struggling. I just don't, I don't ever want to give up on anybody. And I, and I, don't, think, I don't think acknowledging that someone may not be ready for the, the, the good seed that, that God wants to give... I don't think acknowledging that someone's not ready for that is giving up on them. But it might just mean that in this moment, me having a giant bag of seed and just throwing more at them, it ain't working. And it's bouncing off them and landing next to the road, and then Satan's coming and getting fed off of it. You know what I mean? I mean, analogies break down, but anyways. So think, think about the cups, <laughs> okay? You got a cup with a hole and a cup with not. Okay, the cup with the hole, and I was, I even thought about doing it in here, but it's like, eh, I don't want to get water everywhere. So just use your imagination, okay? Do we need a gong or not? You imagining cups? Okay. You got a cup with a hole in it, a cup with not. Okay, you're, you're, pouring, you're pouring water into the cup with the hole. What's happening? It's leaking right out the bottom. You're getting nowhere, man. And, and, that, and really because of that, even what you have is being taken away. It's not, it's not God saying, I'm going to actively come and it's just that you can't hold on to nothing. Or you got a cup that doesn't have a hole and it's, and it's all filled up with water and then, and then someone comes and pours more. Because what does he say? Those who have even more, I'm going to give you even more. It's like, hold on. That, well, Jesus, that doesn't sound fair. Well, here's why. Because when the cup is already full and you come and pour more water into it, what happens? It, oh, it does What? Oh, it overflows. What does that mean? That means now there's more for others. That means now you've got more to give. And people are either going to receive the good word and become fruit-producing givers to others, or they're just going to be a cup with a hole. And God's a good steward, and he's going he's to leave that one to themselves, and he's going to keep pouring it in the ones that are going to give it to others because he wants to get it to others. Amen. And so, what kind of cup am I going to be? <laughs> what kind of soil am I going to be? I'm, I'm thankful Jesus is doing that. I'm thankful that's the way he thinks about it. <laughs> I hope you are too. He's not lighting lamps to stick them under baskets. He's not lighting lamps to put them under beds. It's to bring light and hope to others, man. Mm, 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 mm. Even what he has shall be taken away from him. Because in the end, man, if you stay that way, there's, there is no hope for you. So how do we, how do, we do this? How do we, how do we walk in this understanding? How do we respond to this? Well, I think, first of all, we, we have to believe. If we're going to be those cups that don't have a hole, which God is filling to overflowing, and we're going we're gonna, to... Fulfill that purpose in the earth. How, what, what's it going to take? Well, first it's going to take a belief that, that everyone is, is thirsty. Because I think one of the things that stops us from overflowing into the lives of others is we actually can perceive that they are rocky soil or thorny soil or soil by the wayside. And instead of believing what Jesus said about that, uh, that that's a problem, um, what we actually end up believing <clears throat> is that they're okay. They don't actually need what God wants to give them, which is the truth that they need him. See, God is always trying to give us himself. <laughs> That's what Jesus showed us, man. Like The greatest gift God ever gave us was himself. But we have to be humble enough to want him because our perpetual problem is 
the sin of our first parents is thinking, oh, it, if, I, if I eat this fruit, not, not only uh, is, it, is it maybe good to look at and whatever, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to let me know the difference between good and evil. And in, in the context of, of that wording, it's not just that I can know good and evil, it's that I can determine what is good and evil. There is this rebellious streak in all of us of wanting to make the rules for ourselves. Wanting to be our own God. And I don't, man, I've, uh, I've figured out that I'm not a good God. Amen. Yeah. If you haven't figured that out yet, you're not. I'll just help. I'll, I'll jump you to the front of the line. Nope. It goes all bad when we try to be God. In a self-deterministic way. Um, so we need to believe everyone is thirsty. Do you really believe that? Do you believe everyone is thirsty? I'm talking about the rich guys on the yacht that look like they have everything. Do you, if they don't have Christ, do you think they're thirsty? Or do you, do you really secretly want to be them? Or, or pick, pick your, you know, whatever success is in your mind. Maybe you really hate yacht people. But there's something in your mind, right, that, that if you could get there, if you could just get there, I would feel like I've arrived or I'm successful or whatever that thing is. If you got there and didn't have Christ, I mean, how messed up do you imagine yourself being? How messed up do you imagine people are that are already there? Or do you really believe they're thirsty? They are. We have to believe that the gospel, do, do we believe they're thirsty? And then we have to believe that the gospel is the water they need. We have to believe that the good news about Jesus is the living water every person's really searching for. Because yes, we are riddled with all kinds of issues, identity issues and self-esteem issues and, and all, all kinds of different brokenness and the effects of sin. But at the end of the day, whatever it is, whatever conglomeration of brokenness constitutes each person's situation, what creates their thirst for something better than that, whatever that is, ultimately it's going to be answered in this reality. You were made by God for God. Sin has separated you from God. So your identity and your purpose is to be connected to God. Sin has broken your ability to fulfill that purpose, which is why you're so thirsty, which is why you feel so disjointed. And the way to fix that is to acknowledge that the brokenness is there, that the need is there, and to ask Jesus to be the bridge for you. To trust that because Jesus died the death you should have in your place for your sins, that he took the punishment you deserve so you could get the reward he deserved. That because of that, that by faith now, God has made it possible for broken, thirsty people to come and be healed and drink of a well that means you never thirst again. Do we believe that? Do we believe people are really thirsty and do we believe the gospel is, is the way to the well? It is the well. It's the well that doesn't run dry. Amen. Lastly, we, we have to rely on the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to make us fruitful and thus able to spread the good news of the gospel. Friends, Jesus, in Matthew 28, he said, uh, this is one of the last things he said to his men. He said to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. He said to teach people to do all that he had commanded and, and make disciples. And the, the last thing he said, because he said this crazy, he said, go into all the world and make disciples. Go into all the world and teach them how to obey all the things that I've commanded. That's giant for, a bunch, for just like 12 dudes from a little podunk area in the Middle East. What? Before planes? <laughs> go into all the world and tell them my story. And so he hits them with that, with the jaw dropper of the mission. And then he says this, lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. And then what happened? And then he ascended. Uh, Jesus, <laughs> you said you'd be with us to the end of the age? Oh, but friends, he did something so much better than being able to physically walk in the Galilean countryside with some dudes. He did something so much better, and it was the Father's plan from the beginning. He went from God with us, from Jesus walking on the earth, to God in us. We see that now, as a result of Jesus making it possible for us to be reconciled to God, that now there's no need for a temple made with human hands. No, no. Now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that now he dwells in us and empowers us for the mission that God has called us to do. And it's the only reason we have a shot 
of accomplishing it. The Holy Spirit, friends. And so, are we thinking about that? Are we waking up daily thanking God for his spirit? Are we, are we praying about, and, and, and look, man, there's all times throughout the book of Acts where over, you, you, you hear this idea of, um, that they were filled with the spirit and did such and such. Wild stuff, right? Big preach in the street and do healings and all kinds of awesome things. And, and that's, <clears throat> we receive the spirit at, at the time that we, we surrender our lives to Christ, but there is this continual, this idea of, of, of filling over and over again. And there's times when, uh, man, I, here's the point. We need to, we, our, our cup needs to be full. And, and, and that doesn't happen by um, filling our, our eyes and our ears and our minds and our hearts with, with a bunch of thorns, all the junk of this world, whatever that is for you, whatever your favorite flavor of distraction is. Friends, man, there is, there is a life in God that is so full. Yeah. When we, oh man, that you, you, it, it would just make all those other things that we settle for look like what they are. Just, just dung, man. It's just crap. It's, not, it's nothing compared to the life that God has really prepared and intends for us. To walk in the anointing of his spirit, to be involved in the process of casting more and more seed and seeing more and more fruit produced, and then, and then it producing fruit, and then it feeding other people, and then it producing, and on and on it goes, man. There's a whole world of people out here that don't even know that God loves them and proved it by sending Christ for them. And friends, we hold that precious jewel. We hold that beautiful truth. May we never dare to just hold that to ourselves. But may we go from here full of the Spirit to overflowing and committed to the process of sharing this good news with others. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you uh, for these first 25 verses of Mark 4. Thank you for... Uh, the parables, God, even though sometimes they are confusing, uh, we know how brilliant you are, and uh, we know that you mess with us in good ways sometimes, and so by concealing truth in these, in these puzzles and riddles, you've, you've caused us to have to press in and to, and to look for the key and to, to ask you questions, and God, may we learn from this, um, this principle that you don't always just put everything out in plain sight for us to trip over, that there's you delight in us seeking for you and, and seeking you for answers. And so, God, may we, may, we, may we answer that. May we do that. Lord, if we're, if we're struggling with something, may, and, and just because you don't send an airplane to spell out an answer in the sky, God, may, may we not decide that that means you don't have an answer or that you don't want to answer us. God, these, these parables that cause people to come in, to press, to ask questions. God, may, may we do that as we read your word, as we encounter the difficulties of this life, as we, as we try to love our families well, and as we, as we try to be good witnesses to our neighbors and to the, our coworkers, Lord, and we hit all these difficulties, Lord, may we be a people that when things don't make sense, we press to you, we come to you, we come to the source of knowledge and truth and hope and life, and, and, and we seek for an answer because you, you delight in answering your children. You delight in teaching us and training us and, and growing us up in you. Lord, I ask that you would help us each to mind um, our own soil condition. <laughs> God, help us to um, not put so much pressure on everybody else, what determines whether we receive uh, something from your word, God. It's, it, a lot of it comes down to us. And so I ask that you give us wisdom and discernment by your Holy Spirit to understand the soil condition, what what, what, which of those soil conditions am I most prone to have other than the good one? And Lord, thank you for your mercy and that you're a faithful farmer and you'll keep working this soil. Thank you that the soil we may have right in this moment isn't soil that we're stuck with. But thank you, Lord, you've, you've got all the equipment we need to swap this soil out. And so God, we commit these things into your hands and we ask for your help in all of them to understand, but also to obey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies. 
or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.